Welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. I'm J. Paul Frydenmaker, and I am amazed by all you folks who do fundraising, inviting generous people to resource causes all over the world. Some of you have worked to rally resources to come alongside our Ukrainian and Russian friends impacted by the war. God bless you for that. We are so thankful. Today, we have the special privilege to talk with one of our friends from Ukraine. Thank you for listening in. Sharice Vermillion from Cape Town, South Africa is co-hosting with me, and we are coming to you from Sao Paulo, Brazil, where we had the privilege to speak with my good friend, Ruslan Maliuta. Ruslan currently serves as Strategic Network's liaison at One Hope. Um, One Hope is a global ministry that helps children engage with God's story, supporting several networks, including the 414 Movement and World Evangelical Alliance. He's also a co-founder and formerly served as the international facilitator of the World Without Orphans Movement. He was a candidate from Ukraine to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child and also a recipient of a medal from the president of Ukraine. Ruslan and his wife Anya have five sons, and they're currently living in Switzerland. They moved there from Kiev, Ukraine, just a few weeks before the war started in February of 2022. Hi, Sharice. Hi, Jay Paul. Good to be here. Sharice is one of my featured co-hosts on the Breakthrough Podcast. You'll be hearing her from time to time. Sometimes she'll interview somebody solo, other times with me. Absolutely. Well, Ruslan, it's great to have you. Well, thank you. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sharice. Thank you, Jay Paul. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. So, Ruslan, we're here in Sao Paulo. We're at a Global Children's Forum conference. Lots of, of good things happening here. But we wanted to take the opportunity to sit with you and talk about a few things. You are from Ukraine. Your family is Ukrainian. And so we want to hear about how things are going for you. And then we want to talk about maybe some unique elements related to generosity and sharing in the midst of war. So why don't we start off with you just telling us a little about your family, um, where you guys are based in Ukraine. I know that right now you're based elsewhere, so tell us about that. And we'd love to just hear that part first. Sure, sure. So yes, like you said, I'm from Ukraine and lived uh, all my life in Ukraine. Uh, I'm married. Uh, my wife is Anya. And also we have five children, five boys. So there is never a dull moment in our <laughs> household. Our youngest now is seven and oldest is 20. And the oldest is getting married next month. Oh. So I guess that starts the whole new season or whole new chapter in our family life. And uh, while I've been living in Ukraine for all my life, I've worked uh, globally for the past about 10 or so years. And uh, of course, right now things are very different, just like for every Ukrainian. Uh, when the war started, we actually were outside of the country. Uh, we came to Switzerland about a month before the war. There is a whole another story <laughs> around that. And... Uh, uh, and we've been there since. I'm able to go back to Ukraine, so I've traveled back and forth. And uh, I can say that it has been probably the most difficult year of our life. And I think there are mm. millions of people who uh, could say the same. Mm. The war continues. I know that for those who are not in Ukraine or not connected to Ukraine directly, it's hard to 
kind of to follow this. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's it's still on the news, but not as much as was in the first months. Mm. But unfortunately, the war not only continues, it's uh, as bad as it can get, probably. A lot of people suffer, a lot of people die every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, all Ukrainians, that's a daily reality, regardless if you are in the country or outside the country, just to see how your nation and your people suffer and being torn apart. So um, at the same time, life continues. We do need to cope with things. We do need to just uh, do things and hence even the marriage. (laughs) So yes, it's a mixed feelings. Yes, it's difficult, but I'm grateful that God is guiding, God is protecting, God is providing even in the middle of uh, such a tragedy as this. So, um, yeah, so we certainly would not choose an experience like this one. Mm. And I hope that uh, none of the listeners or as many of the listeners as possible would never get uh, to experience anything that we've been going through this year. But I am here to say that regardless of what's going on, uh, we, uh, we can always, I know that sounds kind of banal, but that's true. We can always rely on God. We can always trust him, mm. even when things go completely not the way as we would want to or as we could imagine. Then yeah. that is our hope. That's what we hold on yes. to. It's what carries us through the day. So my question to you, Ruslan, is how do people cope? Is there a sense of um, just that banding together and supporting one another? What is it that gives people the strength to cope in the midst of, oh my goodness, a missile is going to fall? Yeah, I'm asking this myself this question. I've been asking myself this question very often throughout the year. And while, of course, there are many different stories, and this experience would look very different for people who have been in the areas that were directly affected, that were occupied or were heavily bombed, mm. or for people who may be somewhere in distant village in Western Ukraine, but still, so I don't want to diminish anybody's experience. Of it's course. horrible. It's mm. war for anyone, mm. but there are different levels of, mm. of, of this tragedy, how people are going through. But some things that I've noticed that are quite interesting for me to see that it's not just individuals or groups that are resilient as going through this. So, for example, I can say that, of course, as Christians, we trust the Lord, we have someone to rely on, we help each other. But it's been interesting for me to see that it actually is true for a lot of people in the country. So there is some kind of collective sense of resilience mm. that I think many Ukrainians experience almost regardless of their uh, you know, f- face affiliation and so on. So that's an interesting phenomenon that I've mm. noticed. Uh, I've seen this both from the very first days of the war when things were desperate, but there was still hope. And then as things continued, and there were different facets of the challenge. You know, there were bombings, there were occupations. Then more recently, there was power outages. I remember going to Kyiv in December, and it was so bizarre. It's, I mean, it's a city I've, I've been living in for 20 years, and I'm um, in vibrant city of uh, 5 million people. And I came wow. there, and it was dark, wow. like completely dark, just lights from cars, you know, wherever there are some generators. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, people just, just, just continue. People, mm. and not only continue like desperate, I mean, of course it's difficult, but, but there is hope, there is resilience, there is a surprisingly high level of confidence, or, or not just hope, but almost confidence that we're gonna get through this. So uh, at the at the general level, mm. so I really th- I really don't have an explanation for this 
that does not take into account some God's supernatural involvement. <laughs> Again, I don't know right. the mechanics of this, especially since we're talking about not just the church, but generally. But that's what I've seen, that's what I've witnessed, and it's been manifested in different ways. Again, just to be clear, it's still really difficult. Of there course. are some people that go, you know, I have friends who lost their children because Russian tanks shoot. Our oh. family, we've lost three of our extended family members in Mariupol. So oh. this is hell. I mean, mm. as much as probably as close as one can get to, to this. But at the same time, you see resilience, you see hope, you see confidence, you see hel helping each other, you see gen gen people being generous in the time when they need help, and all the things that are very encouraging. Ruslan, you mentioned your children um, tell tell the listeners a story of of this dynamic. I don't think it's all your children, but some of them were saying we want to go to Switzerland, and now that they're in Switzerland, they they want to go back. Yeah. yeah, yes. I mean, it's I mean, we have five children, so of course there are five different stories yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how it happened. So I'll probably mention several things. One, our oldest, Max. He is he's very analytical. He actually follows lots of news. So I remember even several months before the war, he uh, him coming to my wife, Anna, and I saying, oh, we should probably do something about it. Like it's, it, He was quite certain there was going to be a big war mm. because we had the war going on in eastern part of the country, but it was quite isolated and sort of slow and mm -hmm. uh, slow burner at the point. So, uh, so it was interesting to see how it's affecting him. He's probably among our children. He's the one who was most involved into this emotionally mm. and you know just processing mm. all this. And it was him uh, who, on the morning of February twenty-first, came into uh, our bedroom and said, "The war has begun." And wow. this is this is something I. I don't think anyone should experience. You know, I mean, uh, just hearing you, yeah, I've got... Yeah, just your son come in and we were, we were sleeping and he woke us up and he said, hey, uh, the war has started. Wow. And then, and it was, yeah, that's also, it's hard for me to remember that morning. Mm. So, and then he's been, because we got involved in just doing whatever we could to help people, because since we were outside of the country, uh, our situation was different in a way that we did not need to... Uh, do everything we could to just get to safe place. Correct. So that's why from the first days we could start. We started just doing what we can to help, and mm -hmm. he was a very big part of that. So you have that, but then also everybody got affected. So and then we had my wife and I. We had to go to other kids' bedrooms and wake them up and say. So this is like that's that's. My of course, goodness. there are many tragic <laughs> or difficult mm. experiences, but that was one that we will never forget. Mm. Just having to do that, and then of course processing with children. You know, mm -hmm, on those mm -hmm. first months of shock just helping them to kind of to go through that because it's not just within our family they would you know, get online with their friends you know mm. so we imagine let's say 10 year old alex our, our son alex he is on zoom with his friends who are telling him they're they're being bombed you know they're hiding in a bathroom for a week because oh. the whole area is under bombing so things like that so while we were not directly affected like we, in a way, were walking alongside uh, lots of people that we knew as they were going through this. So I have the friend who called me 
the very first day in his Atrasan, I just got into a car with my wife and son, and we are driving west. That was like it. They just literally right. just drove west. Right. We didn't know exactly yeah. where so we were. That, just so imagine that kind of disruption, just getting in the car, just driving in the direction that is opposite from where the danger is coming, and mm. that's it, like not knowing what's going to happen. Mm. He, it was actually one of the best decisions he could have made because he was from the European Bucha area. So, mm-hmm. so that literally saved them from uh, being under the occupation and so on. So we, so we've been walking with our children through this, and what you, J. Paul, mentioned, uh, the one of reasons why we ended up in Switzerland before the war was because we've been, we know the country a little bit. We've got some good friends there. So we, we all love mountains and love hiking. So that was kind of, that there was a connection there. And our kids enjoyed being there, you know, for, for some time, like just on holiday. Mm-hmm. But as we are now there in a very different capacity, <laughs> you know, it's a different, a very different experience. While it's still, Switzerland is still a good place to be. But my kids dream of going back to Ukraine. They they want to go back to Ukraine. I mean, that's home. So 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 do we. Mm. So so that's kind of that's that's the journey. If we're mm. still walking with them, you know, with meaning like we talk about this, we pray, we pray as much as we can, as often as we can for mm. the war to end and for people we know and then for Ukraine in general. So so it's a journey continues. Mm. My wife is a vivid runner. Uh, that's that. I love her. I appreciate that she's doing it. I'm supporting, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do that as much as she does. But uh, there is this thing that it's called ultra marathon right. when people run for like hundred k. It's beyond me. <laughs> like me too. I, yeah, I did a half marathon, and I feel like that's that's uh, you should get a medal for that. And it's gonna stop. <laughs> but uh, but this what this looks like is running ultra marathon with undefined distance. Oh, wow. Goodness. So, like, you, you run, it's difficult. And actually, when you run, it's really helpful to know, like, where you are. Right. You know, like, okay, mm. like there are 10K left or, you know, mm. five miles left. Mm-hmm. In this case, we run a long-distance marathon that is really hard that no one knows how long it's going to last. So that's kind of the experience. But that's kind of the visual. That's mm-hmm. And not just us. Again, this is everybody in Ukraine. That's, mm. the, that's the scale of the challenge. It's everybody in this position. Right. There's this sense of um, unity among the people of Ukraine. Everybody's doing what they can to survive. And I have two questions for you. The one, I'm thinking, your children who are not currently there, the sense that they want to go back to Ukraine, do you think it has, do you think it has uh, something to do with that feeling of, I want to be with my people, I want to I want to feel the pain with them i want i don't want to leave them behind yeah i'm honestly i'm not sure because they are different ages so i'm not sure like how how much they process this in that Mm. way so some of this can be as simple i just want to be with my friends Mm. and i want to go to school where i understand the language well want normality (laughs) yeah so Mm. kind of like no so and i Again, to be honest, I'm not sure that uh, that Ukraine they want to go back to actually exists. Right. Uh, meaning that the war has changed tremendously. It's still our country. We still want to go back, but that's another thing that we, when we go back, we will go back to a different country, mm-hmm. and that's something else we'll have to help them to process. Mm-hmm. That things are never going to be the same. Uh, I don't mean that they're going to be difficult, you know, all the time, but they are. They will be different you mm-hmm. know, after something like this. Uh, even uh, one, we don't know how it's going to end and what else is going to happen. Mm. But even if it ended tomorrow, it's we will go back to a different country. Yeah. 
So it's our country, but, mm. but we'll have to cope with many things that are like, I'll give one example. We talked about running. So we all love walking and we live in the area outside Kiev and we would often walk, you know, just uh, by the lake or area. Mm. Now it's been mine. The whole, the whole thing has been mine. So they actually ask people not to go to woods until it will be demined. Okay. So just so one little change. You mean there mine, are land in mines. the ground? Yeah, land yeah mines in the ground, landmines, land rockets. So Ukraine is now... If I'm not mistaken, Ukraine is now the, the most uh, country with the most mines in the ground in the world, in like the, the world. dance in the world. Wow. Yeah. And the war is not even over yet. No. So this is just one example. Mm. One. There are many different dimensions, mm -hmm. but this would be one dimension when things are different. So, uh, so yeah, so we, we are praying and thinking that's going to be another challenge. Mm. It's a challenge to leave your country. It's a challenge to live in a different culture, even when it's, you know, well set up and so on, like in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And then it's a challenge to go back to your country that has gone through a tremendous crisis like this. So, Ruslan, I'm going to invite our listeners right now to a moment of prayer and reflection on your behalf, your family, and your country. Lord, hear our prayers. So Ruslan, tell us a little about what you do professionally, vocationally, um, you know, what, what wakes you up on a, on a Monday morning and gets you excited to go out and take action, do stuff. Well, it's, uh, it's usually, it's a good question that I usually have a hard time answering in simple ways. Okay. Well, it's probably <laughs> but I'll give it, but a, I'll give it. A, it may I'll start with a, a good cup of coffee. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I, I, here is how I would put it. Uh, since I was a teenager, I had this desire to, to serve, to be in ministry. Of course, back then, my idea of what it means is different from, exactly. from now. But that's kind of, that was the guiding idea in my life. Okay, I just want to be in ministry. I just want to serve God, serve people. So there have been different ways how I think God has been leading me in doing this for the years. I've made lots of mistakes. <laughs> I've tried different things. You know, I've been a pastor. I've been leading NGOs. But it also happened so that about 10 years ago, I got involved in serving globally, uh, just in different countries with various networks and initiatives. For many years, my focus was orphans and mm -hmm. vulnerable children. It's still something that deeply resonates mm. with my heart. 
uh, both in Ukraine uh, through national initiatives and then globally with World Without Orphans movement that I helped to start and initially led. So, and I think over the years it also became clear to me that the passion, one other particular passion that got put in my heart is collaboration and people Brilliant. working together. Mm. So one way to describe what I do professionally now is I help Christians to work together around the common vision. So that's it can be manifest itself in different situations, in different kind of the fields, but that's essentially what I believe I have privilege to be part of. And just uh, so I, I'm, I get very excited when I see the body of Christ working together uh, on something and then it bringing less than fruit. I love that. So I, what, I, what I want to know is give our listeners some examples of that collaboration, some examples that they could go and replicate. Yeah. You know, while on one side, while it's not easy to collaborate, I actually have many examples. So, I mean, even what I mentioned with World Without <laughs> Orphans, you know, it's an amazing initiative that seeks to help every child to grow up in a loving and caring family and mobilizes churches for this. And now there are teams in more than 70 countries that are doing that. Mm -hmm. So just so we could spend the rest of the podcast and more just on <laughs> just that. On but then there are also great collaborations around children in general, you know, 414 moment, even here in Sao Paulo, what we are observing, I think it's one of the best examples of intentional collaboration, uh, global children's moment and sports moment. But I also want don't want people to think that it's just somewhere, you know, globally and you know, the Sao Paulo kind of thing. It's It can happen at a anywhere it can right. happen anywhere and people will focus on what's uniting us mm. we'll, we'll focus on uh, on the kingdom god's That's kingdom part mm. of of our life not just on our own you know identities or churches but mm. on a shared both shared uh, needs that we see and shared visions and i think even we've just we've been talking a lot about ukraine today for me, that's that's an example, inspiring example of collaboration around the shared need, because from the first days of the war, uh, especially Christians and churches, they've they just been doing everything they could. So mm -hmm. I think for me, amazing thing was that the very people who has been also very affected, also been you know in dangerous situations, they would help others to evacuate. They would provide food and meals and accommodations. There was literally a wave of this kind of response across Ukraine and neighboring countries, Poland, Slovakia, but it was also collaboration. So people just, for me, it's such a clear example of we see the need, we understand that that's, that's no, there is no one that can respond to that need by themselves. So mm. let's do together. So there are again many, many stories there of how people are working together or to help children or to just to respond to the myriad of needs that are connected to this to this situation. So so collaboration is not some it's not a professional like it's not just for professionals. <laughs> it's not just for global initiatives. Anyone can do that if they will discern what is it that they want to focus on and then connect with others and be intentional about it. Ruslan, so I think we live in such a world where people are trying to do their own thing. Everybody's got a vision and a dream. Got to build my brand. I've got to get it out there, market it. And I'd love for you to just give us like a few mm -hmm. first steps. If you want to collaborate with um, like-minded friends in your area of ministry, what are some of the key values that yeah. you would say 
Don't forget these things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's what we see. And that's, I'm not saying that this is wrong. Like, it's okay to have your brand. It's right. okay kind of to, you know, there are probably different ways to do it, but there is nothing inherently wrong with this. Correct. But I really like that you ask question about values. And I think what uh, this is about values. So mm-hmm. it's valuing uh, relationships and people, valuing uh, unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when we think about the church, we often think about our church that we belong to as a local community. We might think about our denomination in some cases or groups. But So it's training ourselves to think about church as the body of Christ that transcends all of this. That, that that is on one side it's invisible but it's very real it's more real actually mm. than what we can see so true. and ask ourselves what is it what is it that the most important and that's that is the most important so mm. when I look at someone I just don't look like, I don't see that person as a competing brand mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, exactly. organization that well there might be something that we need to be our but I see that if it's my brother or sister in Christ I see someone that not that we only we can work together that's a natural state of being of working together so that's probably that's what valuing that the reality is that this is a natural thing mm-hmm. what we all mostly see is unnatural like christians not work together not working together this is not the normal situation i know <laughs> so it's not like oh how can we learn to work together it's how can we remove barriers that prevents us from doing it in a way that that is very normal for the body of christ i, I love that i know it's not easy but that's that's the truth like mm. this is this is how god has designed it and that's what we clearly see in the word of God, and that's what we clearly see in in situations when it dif- when it becomes difficult. So again, I know that I keep coming back to the war and to Ukraine, but when something like this happens, nobody cares about brands. I mean, yes, they are important. <laughs> exactly. But you know, when someone needs food and that food comes, they don't look for like, okay, so what brand did it come mm-hmm. from? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Or when they need shelter, they don't ask like, okay, so what organizations sponsor this or what mm. church? I've seen that literally dozens of churches that stop their Sunday services, mm. not just in Ukraine, outside Ukraine. They put mattresses and beds in their sanctuaries wow. and received hundreds of people. Wow. I bet people weren't asking, is this a Baptist church? No, let's go and look for a Pentecostal church no. to spend the night in. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they, they, <laughs> they don't do that. No, they don't no. do that. They're like, okay, I mean, these people are helping us. They're meeting our needs. Right. So so that's how the body of Christ really looks like when, when it gets it. <laughs> so you've been participating in a working group this week. Mm-hmm. Tell us one or two activities or resources that you are excited about that that you're gonna test out of this consultation that maybe haven't been done uh, before or maybe they haven't been done as widely? What are some things you're excited about? Uh, So uh, a couple of things. One actually would be a retrospect. There was a similar meeting just when the COVID was starting. Again, thinking of how often good collaboration is provoked by shared understanding of the need and the fact that this need is so huge. So while most of people are forgetting about COVID now, I just want to remind us that it was quite, quite a big thing. Exactly. <laughs> and and <laughs> so in a meeting like this, a group of people, just like now, they just got together and it eventually led to what is now, now known as family fit. It's a simple way to equip parents and families to engage when they were in the lockdown. And it continues well past lockdown. So that now is being used in more than 100 countries probably by millions of people by now. So that's the reason why I mentioned now, because I, I don't know what things will become like that from this gathering, 
but I know what the similar gathering like this that came led out of a to. similar exactly. gathering before, mm -hmm. and now it's going to be just built like on now, just like it. now, people got together, dreamed, yeah. worked together, and then came up with this. So at this point, I don't know what will become the thing with this kind of impact, but there are many things that we are working on. One of them is identifying what resources are available for families and mission. That's a big theme of this gathering. How can we inspire, encourage? A family's households to be missional or to be on mission. I know it's a trendy name, but essentially what it means is to follow Christ and to help others follow Christ mm -hmm. and resemble in, in your life. It's not about a program, not about a curriculum, but it's about a lifestyle. So what are some things that we can identify or maybe some gaps we can see and then feel that would help parents and uh, households around the world to do that and churches to to, to support. Mm -hmm. Even, I would say, another thing that I'm excited about, what's being shaped here and hopefully will then gain traction after the meeting, even this vision itself, the importance of focusing on families and households is such a key. I do believe that that's what God is speaking to the church now. Mm -hmm. I do believe that mm -hmm. that's what churches need to see. Like this is our biggest assets and this is the place or the places where where, where disciple making is happening, when ministry mm -hmm. is happening, when children's formation is happening. So uh, so this is my hope that, again, I don't want to just, I don't want to exaggerate because I really don't know. But if you may wonder like how things happen in the church, globally or why some things suddenly become and gain traction i think it often comes as a result of meetings like this when, mm. when people come together not necessarily people with lots of you know funding or a lot of big organizations but people who are committed people who are willing to work together i think it it just does something in the kingdom then 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 it might even explode or at least sometimes it can be very subversive there are examples of things that, because it's not always about publicity, mm. <laughs> it's, it's about real impact. And there are things that have real impact that may not make it on the news or even on Christian you know, radars, mm. but they are actually impacting and changing lives of thousands or millions of people. So mm -hmm. this is a birthplace or a lab for things like that. I love that. And you know, this idea, we've been looking at families and I have the sense that there's a real onslaught on families globally. Mm -hmm. And so this to me feels like a move of the spirit to have this as a real focus. Um, and we've been looking at the concept of generosity in the midst of war. How have you seen that aspect, generosity in the midst of war, come into play? This actually, it's, um, um, this has been one of the... Again, I know that it's maybe strange that I'm using the word encouraging <laughs> during war because it's still like with everything I see and know, like this is, I wish there was another way. Like I wish there was another way to express generosity, mm. but this is the reality. And like I said, people responded to this from the beginning, both in Ukraine and outside Ukraine. So I just, I, I actually do want to take this moment and, and say thank you. Like I, I don't know who is listening Beautiful. to this podcast, but I'm pretty certain that you at least prayed or you did something for Ukraine. I just, mm. just because what I've seen globally, that's what happens. And by the way, at least praise. I did not mean that that prayer is not important. Of course, actually, <laughs> I please continue to pray. We really need it. And but also, uh, I've seen the whole like, for example, looking at Poland. This is the country that has received a lot of people. It's very close to mm -hmm. Ukraine. And it's just, I would say that I've seen country living generously. 
in in, in first mm -hmm. months. I was there uh, several weeks after the war started, and I could see like that's how I, I would describe it using this wow. language: people giving, people receiving, you know, others in their homes. The whole churches, mm -hmm. like what I said earlier about churches turning their sanctuaries into mm. shelters and doing things that they could never, they were surprised. I also seen people surprised by their own generosity <laughs> yes. and like almost like bewildered, like we don't know how this is happening. Right. <laughs> like I've seen churches who've done things, initiatives that were on a bigger scale than anything they've ever done, like times and times bigger. And they were looking at me and said, so I just, we just don't know how that even happened. We just right. started doing this and one thing led to another and then we ended up like uh, helping hundreds or even thousands of people and uh, and we don't know how that happened so so it has been consistently what i've seen mm -hmm. in not just poland i'm uh, it's just the scale of what i saw in poland and then also going actually like circling back to ukraine i think what's amazing is to see how people are giving in the midst of what they're going through again both christians so Ukraine, certainly I don't see, oh, we need just, oh, we need help, just give us mm -hmm. kind of mentality. I, honestly, I don't even know where they take money from because there are no, I mean, economy is really difficult, you right. know, inflation is huge, country is in war, but I keep seeing all kinds of initiatives that people do within Ukraine, just with whatever money wow. they've got. Uh, again, not just in the church, mm. generally in society. There are a lot of things that are being crowdfunded in Ukraine that it's just amazing, uh, both at the large scale, you're talking millions of dollars raised, and at a very simple scale, you know, I'm helping my neighbor uh, to pay for, you know, the groceries or I'm helping my relative and so on. So mm. so it's, I almost, I'd love for someone to almost study that, you know, yeah. just to go to Ukraine, to go to Poland, just spend time with people and study what, how does it actually work? How come right. generosity becomes such a big part of mm -hmm. this in the middle of what's going on? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah. And ch children too, I actually know many examples of children uh, doing something like, I have one story that kind of popped up in my head now was a girl playing chess. Like I think 13 year old girl having a chessboard in a public place and playing chess and people would give money for uh, for those who needed it because of the war in Ukraine. So, sh And she raised you know, like several wow. thousand dollars. So I've seen many reports. This is not an isolated incident. Children doing something and then and raising money for uh, for wow. whoever needs it, you know, soldiers that got hurt and uh, need the medical oh. care or, you know, yeah. or stuff like that. That yeah. is inspiring. Yeah. Ruslan, my uh, my final question here is is probably multiple questions in one. Sorry about. I have a gift for that. It's a I beautiful think. gift. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do not lose it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the question is, how can we help in in the Ukraine? war the crisis that's going on mm. um and and you can answer this any number of ways like i would love we would love to hear from you what is an organization or maybe a couple of organizations that you would say please consider giving your money time to this and then maybe a second question is are there we definitely can pray we definitely can give but are there any other ways that people can come alongside you and your people in Ukraine. Mm, that's a beautiful question. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And first of all, again, I just want to thank, thank you, thank everybody 
who has been doing this, uh, Ukraine. I know that there is, we've talked about resilience and I can see around the world how people admire Ukrainians who stood up you know, to this aggression and so on. Mm. But uh, we need help and we needed help and we could not have done it uh, by ourselves. So I just want to express appreciation of this and also thank you for continuing to ask this question. So several things I would say, one is to pray, if you continue to pray, this is really important because analytically speaking, I don't see a lot of good scenarios in this situation. Mm -hmm. Like even like the best case scenarios still look quite grim. Mm. So uh, just praying intentionally for God's will to be done in this situation, for mm -hmm. God's peace to come. Mm. Because peace, there are different ways how peace can be reached in this situation and not all of them are good. Mm. So for just biblical peace. And speaking and speaking about noticing it, I think uh, it's important as a Ukrainian, it's important when people notice. Right. I know it's hard. It's we already talked. It's going on for I mean for more than a year. So I'm not I'm not saying that everybody needs to wake up in the morning and check the news on Ukraine and so on. So no, I mean it's it's actually it people should continue with their life. That's normal. That's fine. But I do want to encourage you to kind of keep keep uh, it on your radar, mm -hmm. and 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 also speak. Uh, God's word often talks that we need to speak for those who are being oppressed. So uh, so to to speak out, uh, I think it's important. And then and then of course there are practical ways to give. And there are the needs are are great. So uh, they they are huge in the time of war as we are now, and they will be also huge when the war ends, in terms of restoration and so on. So so there are many ways of giving. One specific way that I'm uh, connected with is, uh, as I mentioned, I work around collaboration. So one of my involvements is with World Evangelical Alliance, and when the, it's it's a global network of evangelical uh, communities and churches and mm -hmm. groups. And when the war started, we've launched a special task force to help to come alongside churches and Christians in Ukraine and neighboring countries as they respond to this crisis. So it's called Trust, the Response Ukraine Special Task Force. It's right on WE World Evangelical Alliance website. So, so that would be an easy, especially for people in the US, but in other country, countries, that would be an easy way to do. And what you're doing through this, you are supporting the church in Ukraine as they're responding Wonderful. to this situation. So that there are, again, there are many other ways. So, but that's one that I would uh, certainly encourage. Um, and also in terms of different, uh, Jipal, you asked about what are other ways in addition to giving or besides giving. Mm -hmm. I think just thinking that uh, the whole country, what country is going through is a major destruction mm. and major disruption. Too. Mm. And by the way, Ukrainians are not waiting for the war to end. When again, when I travel there, I see buildings being repaired. I see things being restored. What? So wow. even like I was, part of me is like, this is crazy. I mean, the bomb can literally come, you know, again and, and um, in minutes. It. Mm. Yeah, in minutes, and everything's gonna be gone. Mm. Uh, but uh, but people are already doing this. I and love of, that. Yeah, yeah it's, Ukrainians are not waiting mm -hmm. for the war to end. Oh, yeah. They're not they, waiting. They are not waiting. Yes, this that is. That is. They yes. they're yes. just. They're just doing things, getting things done, and they're so there are amazing people. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's again, it's there is something there. I'm. I don't want to sound like I think Ukrainians are in some way more special than others. <laughs> 
I just think that there is some kind of grace that I don't know why we experience exactly. this. Exactly. But there is mm. grace. There are so mm. many examples of this. So I'm just grateful for this grace. And I think there are also there are investment opportunities. There are Christian businesses that are uh, adapting. That's the truth for everyone. They're adapting. They're finding ways how to uh, how to uh, survive, but not just how to survive, but how to actually operate and how to help other people. So I think looking also for not just to give to address a specific need right now, but also to invest or to come alongside in ways that would build capacity, that Excellent. would strengthen communities, mm. that would you know, bring in jobs, or that would. There are many a lot of there are a lot of creative, innovative people there, mm-hmm. so coming alongside them and supporting them or just investing in them. I think that's another way. Probably even more, I think long term, that's probably what we need more. So I think what Ukraine needs more is not giving, is, in, oh, well, okay, let me basically change that. What Ukraine needs more than aid, Ukraine needs investment. Mm-hmm. Right now, mm-hmm. even like for those who are willing to take the risk, <laughs> it's yeah. high risk. Here's what I want to say: If you guys are not going to wait, we don't want to wait with you. Mm. Yeah. We want to mm. come with you, and we're not waiting. I can say, based on my personal experience, Ukrainians are not waiting. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Ruslan, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sharice, thank, thank you, thank you, Paul. It's been yeah. a pleasure and an honor to be part of this podcast. Sharice, thank you. Thank you, Jay Paul. Always wonderful and a gift to work with you. And Sharice, we're going to provide some links Mm -hmm. in the show notes. Absolutely. So this will be World Evangelical Alliance Trust. Mm -hmm. It'll be prayer um, uh, resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, points Mm -hmm. and stuff like it will be, yeah, uh, things we've talked about. Go ahead. Exactly. And I think one of the things that we didn't get to talk to is you know, you mentioned that you wanted people to stay up to date, you know, kind of keep 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 updated on what is happening. I think a lot of people would love to know where do they go for trusted information? Yeah, how do we fight propaganda? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly a conversation I'd love to have. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, I, I, I wish I could point you to one source. I'm afraid if I'll do, I, you, can, you might of lose course. some of your yeah. audience. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but there is no one source I can point you to. But it does not mean that there is, there is truth about mm-hmm. what's going on. <laughs> so it's not like, uh, while despite of some uh, people's efforts, there is a truth and there is mm-hmm. reality and it's possible to figure that out. <laughs> but we could put some some suggestions in the we show notes. We can do some suggestions. That's a great that idea. That's some of the thoughts. That's right. Thank you so yeah. much, Ruslan. Oh, what you. an honor. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, interview, this discussion. Um, and by God's grace, may we break through Amen. to transformation. May we break through to healing. Amen. Thank you, Jim. The Breakthrough Podcast is produced by myself, J. Paul Frydenmaker. Special thanks to my co-host, Sharice Vermillion, and to Church of the Beloved for the music today, which is from their Hope for a Tree Cut Down album and their Adventus album. I encourage you to find them on Spotify, Apple Music, and other music platforms.
smile.